Donc, je suis là. So I'm in my second day here at the newsroom, a little shy. I couldn't really exchange with people because, well, everyone was busy. Until the editor-in-chief says to me, here, we must make propositions, we must consider that you are in the team, we must work. So basically, the team sort of adopted me, and I think this was when it clicked for me. The moment when it clicked was in 2010, at the press offices of the Nouveau Courrier, a daily newspaper of Abidjan, the capital of the Ivory Coast. Ten years later, Menfi Anderson Diedry has left the Nouveau Courrier to establish his own media, Iberni Today, an information site specialized in investigation and fact-checking. My name is Camille Diao, and I am also a journalist. For the past few months, I got to talk with reporters, podcasters, news anchors, bloggers, and other actors of the media industry around the world. I listened to them at length. They told me about their backgrounds, their inspirations, their battles. I asked them a lot of questions, and one thing leading to another Between these men and women from all over the world, I started to see the connections, shared beliefs, ideas, courage, passion. I spoke to 10 different people. They come from the Ivory Coast, from Cameroon, from Myanmar and Yemen, amongst other places. In this podcast series, I want you to hear their voices. You're listening to Correspondance, the podcast of the newsmakers. Episode 2, Menfei Anderson Diedry. All over the past few days, we've been monitoring social media. And in Correspondance, the podcast of the newsmakers. Manfei Anderson Diedry is 34 years old. In 2016, the Ivorian journalist founded the website eBurney Today that specializes in investigation and fact-checking. A real challenge on a continent where, like anywhere else, fake news is proliferating, but where independent media that are willing to put money into fact-checking are still very few. When I talked to Anderson, he gave me the impression of a man who, despite his young age, had already lived through a lot. A journalist with a vision, who knows what he wants, where he's going, without ever compromising his values. Menfei Anderson Diedry was born in 1986 in Dimboko, a small town in the center of the Ivory Coast. His mother was a restaurant manager, his father a factory employee. He had five brothers and sisters, a rather carefree childhood at the end of the 80s. But while he was still young, the family went through a huge upturn in their lives. It's 1994, and Anderson's life is flipped upside down. Mm -hmm. 
It's the year when her dad passed away. I must have been about eight years old. It was a complete change in our lives. For all of us. For my brothers and sisters. We were taken in by his older brother, the eldest in the family. So we left in Bokro, the center of the Ivory Coast, to meet in the village of our parents. More precisely in Bermi, our village was called Afotobo. So it's there where we were welcomed by our father's older brother. Our uncle was retired. He had his plantation farms. He also had his own children. Some were already working. So our life changed totally, like I said. Over there, it's a village. So, of course, we go to school. I started in C2 over there. You also have to go to the field at the weekend and on days when there aren't lessons. And basically, he teaches us. In fact, my father-in-law is someone who worked hard. He was a driver for civil engineering. It wasn't necessarily a very well-paid job. But he succeeded in working to be able to save up money and do small things on the side, to be able to build his own home in the village. The value of work is very important to him, living modestly, fighting to succeed. For him, it's possible. He didn't even go to school. That's what he tried to instill in us. For him, it was clear that those who worked hard would advance in life. He told us a phrase that stayed with me since forever. Either you go to school, you study and you succeed, or you stay in the fields to work. So that's what he presented to me as a life motto. So it was up to us to choose. And for me, that phrase has stayed with me until now. I must succeed. In 2005, I passed my baccalaureate and then I arrived for the first time in Abidjan to continue my university studies. It was also another shock, not to see another change in my life, since in my mind, coming from university, I had to go all the way to a PhD before stopping going to school. I really had to focus on my studies. I was really attached to it. And it was a shock because once we have the bar, we are grown up. Who was going to take charge of my studies? I had to accept the fact that I was grown up, that I had to take care of personally financing my studies. And that wasn't easy to accept. And I thought that my uncle, who I was staying with in Abidjan, was going to then take over for me. But this wasn't the case. At this moment, I had to find the means to continue my studies. And this was when I stopped my studies. I stopped my studies for at least three years. For three years, I didn't go to school. It was since 2006, so I had little activities that I did. First of all, I had a little booth, a telephone booth, before it was really developed in Abidjan, a little telephone booth where I could make calls and everything. This was where I began. I was also a security officer, or a guard as we call it here. Working as a security officer allowed me to have a bit of money. 
I worked for a man who was a commissioner of the police, who was in presidential security. So at this particular time, I worked at his home. He regularly had all the newspapers there, all the press. So, when I had free time, I would dedicate my time to reading all of these newspapers. In 2006, where I had my telephone booth, there were at least two newsrooms. I got an idea of the environment, those who come and go, and I saw it's a great career. I saw people who could write well. So what was drawing me to this? Why was I reading all these newspapers? I looked a lot at people's writing, who could capture your attention with a column, an article that was well written. While I was working one day, I saw an announcement in a newspaper, Fraternité Martin. The National Union of Journalism of the Ivory Coast is launching a competition for pupils and students. So I decided to apply without knowing if I was going to become a journalist or not. For me, it was just an opportunity, but I didn't know. I just applied. You needed two productions, and for me, I was in geography, so it was questions related to the climate and to the environment. This is what we do already with the geographic department. So my two articles for the pre-selection procedure was an interview with a professor of climatology. It was a woman. And I did a report about the squalors of Abidjan. I got to the third level of the pre-selection procedure in Abidjan. At the final part, there were 18 candidates, and I did an investigation into the reason behind exam failures, particularly of the BPC and the baccalaureate. I believe it was this investigation that got me the national prize in the student's category. I got a computer, I had the sum of 100,000 francs in cash, and I believe the most important part is that I got an internship in a press agency. And I think this was when it all began, which is what makes me today. Diodora Anderson, a journalist. It was this internship at Nouveau Courrier. I arrived on a Monday, and they said to me, your internship has begun. I was quite surprised things happened so quickly. In the first two days, I was quite shy. I couldn't really exchange with the others because, you know, everyone's busy. It's important to note that it was September 2010, so it was before the elections of October 2010. Three days later, the chief editor says to me, Here, we must make propositions. We must consider you as part of the team, so we need to work. So that was it for me. We were in the electoral period. The media is sought after during this time. So they sent me straight away to do reports, often alone, I should add. Very quickly, the editorial team sort of adopted me. They saw a young man who had just arrived, who wanted to learn, who was motivated, so I stayed. The elections were organized in October 2010 in the Ivory Coast. So the second round opposed Laurent Babo as past president in Alassane Ottawa. The results were part disputed. Then we fell into post-electoral crisis until April 2011, where Laurent Babo was arrested. Then afterwards, Alassane Ottawa takes the position and life resumes to normal, let's say.
And it was in this re-election, the president decides to close the universities. We can no longer take up studies or lessons. And as I was in the newsroom of the Nouvelle Courrier, I stayed there to continue my work. And then I ended up fully integrating the newsroom. I was in political services and I continued to work. In the Ivory Coast, we have very little independent media outlets. The media are overwhelmingly backed by political chapels. The Nouvelle Courrier was a media who was close to Gbagbo camp. So when they lost power, the newspaper switches to the opposition. Before I went into press, this was not my perception of journalism. This question of an editorial slant, which you could say boxed us in, a little on what we should write. The state of the Ivory Coast is quite particular. The media is very, very engaged in political fields. And for me, that was a problem. Until today, it is still a problem. It's why at a certain point, I resigned from the Nouvelle Courrier to go and accompany the president on a state visit, to go to the presidency, to cover the ministry board, to go to the primacy, to follow through with the audience. Really, I spent a long time doing this. But at a certain point, I said to myself, I could be useful and dedicate myself to subjects with scope and that are important to me personally. So I decided to dedicate a good part of my time in these investigations and launched our site, Egbioni Today. They say, can we do journalism differently? Really, we try to be neutral. We try to be impartial when treating information. It's really what guides us and it's this slant that we try to keep. As an individual, we can have political positions, but when we are working as journalists, we need some impartiality in treating information. We launched Airbnb Today in 2016. In the Ivory context, we had a lot of media outlets who treat news and very little would dedicate time to do investigations, reports on important subjects that can touch populations, the problems that we can have in terms of governance, in terms of access to services, and all of this. So how do we produce content that can concern important subjects, especially with investigations? I was informed of a dispute, a land conflict that opposes populations of Puerto in the center of the Ivory Coast, to the state of the Ivory Coast. This land was occupied by the population, peasants, each with their own little plantation farm, cassava, yams, some cashew nuts. And one morning in 2011, the state decides to attribute the land to a multinational Belgian company to make industrial plantations which cultivate rubber. So we stopped at about 60 people, village people and traditional chiefs, kings to put them in prison in Mbarakhe, and we liberated them five to six months later. This was the context I had before pursuing this investigation. But I said to myself, wait, there's something not right. A royal in prison, his wife in prison, with older men between 60 to 70 years in prison. And I was informed only, I believe, in January 2016 if I remember correctly.
Soon after, when I was informed of this case, two weeks after I decided to go to the field in Puriko, more than 300 kilometers from Abidjan, in the center of the Ivory Coast, I went, I saw, and I interrogated the villagers. They explained to me a little. I tried to understand the situation. What's happening? Does this land really belong to the state of the Ivory Coast? Does the population have the right to reclaim this land? So I collected a lot of information from the local population. I tried to communicate with the company in question. I encountered a lot of difficulties. They didn't want to talk. I also contacted the Minister of Agriculture, which carried this project. I also exchanged with the community's advocate, so I had documents of justice I could consult, etc. So I took enough time, and I finally managed to publish my article in August. It was an incomprehensible case, basically. It was a violation of the law of the population. In any case, a large part of this population had been evicted and then the protests began. The police intervened and the police fired live ammunition at the population. Two people died there and then, afterwards, they arrested people, in particular the king of this village. At home in Africa, and particularly in the Ivory Coast, a king is an unconditional, important authority, and you can't just arrest him and throw him in jail, especially as he wasn't even participating in the protest. So at a certain point in the region, the people actually fled. Certain people abandoned everything to find refuge in other towns or local areas in the country and some villages lost everything, their fields, their plantation farms, a bit of everything. So that created an enormous problem of coherence among the population. Certain people have to designate their neighbors or their brothers as being leaders, those that create and call to the mobilization. So already, the populations look at each other like dogs, so you create a division of the community and part of the population is mistreated. It's the prosecution. It's the arrest. So, certain had spent many months outside of the village, and others had been bastioned, mistreated, and endured the consequences. So until 2019, I was still there, and there was a man who got me out a lot of medication, the prescriptions. Today, he continues to pay for this care, for all the abuse he suffered during all those years. The investigation was published in August. The angle I tried to put forward on Egbionne was to say, does this land really belong to the state of the Ivory Coast, like the authorities say so? All the elements of proof that I have, all the interviews I was able to do with experts who work on land, we looked at the legislation, is whether the state could really own this land. The conclusion was no. With regard to the whole legal arsenal concerning land issues, the conclusion was no. We had to look at the legislation and see if the state could really own the land. First of all, when the article came out, there was a first part that the ONG protested. The elements of my investigation and other things helped to report. They amplified the elements of our investigation. They published a new report that was broadcasted on an international level. 
the company concerned, SIAT, which refused in the beginning to respond to our questions, began to change position to say we are ready to meet an exchange. Second thing, the objective is also for the ONG to succeed to mobilize the companies. Since SIAT is a Belgian business, we are still mobilizing other ONG who are based in Belgium, and that gives us more visibility, more action, more pressure on the company and also on the government. Next, last year, Action Aid France launched a petition for the restitution of the population's land. And still today, there are ONG in Belgium and a little everywhere who mobilize still on this case to say that the restitution of the population's land and that the work continues. For all the works come from research that I was able to do in 2016. How did I get to work on the cases like that of Trico and everywhere else? I remember about an investigation on the dam of Sobre, for example. At a certain moment, I dedicated my time to do this. I said to myself that these were important subjects and those that have more impact. There are all these journalists who will not dedicate their time to do this. Here in Abidjan, waking up to go to the minister's board and so on, it's easier to do. Documenting these cases that often take months and require to go to different regions and move around, to spend several days in the countryside, the villages and documenting these cases. Not everyone will do that, and that's also the role of a journalist, is to be able to have an impact. Does our work create the change in the community in which we are part of? I travel a lot in rural areas, in the province, to see these populations' problems. Do they have roads? Do they have water? Do they have access to services because they need to also serve the policy makers? So that they decide to take the measures they impose to resolve this problems. I've decided to no longer follow politics, to no longer follow news, but to dedicate my time to these kind of subjects, like in political, in Selway, and elsewhere. I really hold this kind of journalism close to my heart. The vision I have to do of journalism, I think that was influenced by my personal career path. I learned this from my humble upbringing and my environment. You had to fight to get ahead, even to go to school. You have to fight. So this is the vision I have on life, now and forever. This is what allowed me to understand the problems. You live through them too, and you see it firsthand. And so, when I became a journalist, I said to myself, I can help to change things, and it makes me happy every time I publish whatever it be for universities or for the ONG. There was an interest to talk about these populations in some way or another. These populations that see their rights taken away, sometimes there is no one there to listen. They don't know who to go to, who to talk to. So when you listen to them, because when I go, I sleep in these villages amongst the locals. It's in the village where often there are no commodities, so I'm content. I find myself in this environment where I evolved. I grew up at a young age, so I understand the problem. And when I can help put these issues in the face of the public opinion to make change, it makes me happy to do this.
2016, Manfei Anderson Diedry won the Africa Czech Prize for investigating the case of the land looted by the state for the benefit of a Belgian multinational company. An investigation published on his website, Iberni Today. Thus, he became the first French-speaking journalist to be rewarded on this prize. Today, Anderson is involved in media training and the fight against online disinformation, especially in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. And he continues to defend his vision of the profession. Impactful journalism at the service of populations. Correspondance is a podcast series brought to you by CFI, the French Media Development Agency. The next episode will take you to Vietnam to meet a woman who was a news anchor on national TV for more than 15 years. Her name is Hang Din. See you then. Mm-hmm.